Discipleship for Busy Blokes. It's my very great pleasure to welcome Will Neville to Discipleship for Busy Blokes podcast. We are actually able to chat together in person, but we're being very careful about our social distancing and we are a couple of metres apart. Uh, but we are from the same church and Will's very kindly offered to come in and chat to us. Thanks, Nick. It's great to be here. I've uh, been meaning to chat to you for a while and uh, wanted to catch up with you about lots of different things. But let's kick off with just asking you about yourself and your family. Sure, yeah. So um, I'm 30 years old, uh, currently living in Birmingham. I'm not originally from Birmingham, I'm from a beautiful little place uh, just a few miles away called the Black Country. I uh, grew up in a little town in Sandwell called Oldbury and then kind of moved around the Black Country a little bit before landing in Birmingham in 2012. I serve on team here at BCC uh, as one of the drummers. Uh, I've always been quite a big sports fan as well, played hockey and football as a child, did a little bit of gymnastics and quite a lot of swimming, don't think I could ever get back into gymnastics again, it's far too painful. Gymnastics is a thing isn't it, I did some yeah. gymnastics at school as well and I, the, some of the things I did like when I was in year, year, I guess year 10, year 11 or whatever, I can never do those now. No, no chance, no, no chance at all. See so yeah, I'm, I'm quite a big football fan, I support West Bromwich Albion. In and out of the Premiership, we'll see what happens at the moment with uh, how things stand with promotion. And then for uh, for rugby, I'm quite a big Bath fan. Uh, we used to go down there when I was a child and my mum was a Leicester fan, so I was like, right, I'm going to support Bath. Just to annoy her, really. <laughs> um, I kind of get to one game a season. I used to have a season ticket for West Brom um, and get to one game for West Brom a season and, and one game for Bath every yeah. season. Uh, so I like to keep involved, but mainly just kind of watch on TV more than anything else. I quite like to pretend that I can play golf. I'm great at walking, not so great at hitting the ball. So, uh, yeah, I like to pretend I can play golf. And then in my late 20s, uh, I actually discovered road cycling, which was quite a new thing for me, but I've become quite passionate about it now. It takes a lot of uh, encouragement for me to get going sometimes. But Yeah, yeah good. you've got a really great bike as well. Just tell the listeners about your bike. Yeah, it's beautiful. Uh, <laughs> so it's uh, a Planet X EC130. Uh, yeah. So it's an aero, full carbon bike. It's a lot quicker than I am. So. And you certainly like churning out some mileage at weekends and stuff, don't you? When I get a chance, yeah. yeah. So uh, yeah, I like to spend a morning or a day just out exploring. Yeah, a couple of years back, or maybe maybe even more than that, I think uh, uh, Will and a few of us went on a food bank challenge, didn't we? Did Tried to do 50 miles, I think it was, and I... I just felt so behind compared with you guys, but... <laughs> yeah, no, it was good fun, that. It was, it was day, great, yeah. it was great. It was yeah. good day. Really, really good. And uh, just tell us a bit about your family. Yeah, so I'm married to Charlotte. I uh, have been for almost three years now, and we've got a beautiful little 18-month-old boy uh, called Ben. So yeah. he, he's such a joy to be He is, he's about. an absolute delight. He's yeah, lovely. He uh, he's come in quite a few times to BCC, and we've seen him and stuff, and he's just great. Yeah, he's so, uh, great fun. Um, so, Will, just tell us a little bit about what you do now. Is that all right? What, yeah, what do you sure. do at the moment? So uh, at the moment I work for the Salvation Army, uh, obviously the Salvation Army are a massive worldwide expression of the church, uh, I work specifically in their homeless services, uh, so all over the UK and all over the world uh, they've got homeless services called Life Houses, which is essentially a homeless hostel, but they're called Life Houses because they're, they're much more than a place to stay, you know, they're somewhere that people can come and regain their independence, they can get their life back on track. Uh, so that's what I do, I'm the programme coordinator uh, at the Life House here in Birmingham called the William Booth Centre. Uh, so I oversee kind of all the support aspects in the centre. How many are there there in the William Booth Centre in Birmingham? Uh, so we've got 74 rooms in total. Uh, so there's 64 ensuite rooms uh, and then five flats within the building and five studio flats within the building. And they're all okay. supported 24 hours a day. So Will, just tell us a little bit about your journey to faith, uh, because you've got a very interesting story and I think there's a lot of blokes who'd be very interested to hear uh, your journey to faith. 
Sure, yeah. So um, everything kind of really crumbled for me in 2010 when my dad died unexpectedly. But if I'm completely honest, things weren't great before that, so I'll go back to about 2005. I'd just turned 16. I was regularly attending a youth group at Needing Church in Oldbury called Bethel Christian Fellowship. And completely out of the blue for my brother and, and myself, uh, our parents split up. The relationship with my dad was t- completely broken uh, and I was adamant that I just wasn't going to stay with him. Uh, and then eventually my mum managed to find a house uh, for me and her to live together, close enough for me to still look at, attend college and still see my mates. There was another church at the end of the road, so I started attending there. And things were looking up, things were great until about 2008. That's when I really started to kind of party hard with friends, living less and less of a Christian life. You know, when I was at church, I was a great Christian. When I wasn't at church, I really wasn't living a Christian life at all. And, and I think a lot of blokes would, if they're really honest with themselves, I think they would identify with the honesty of what you said there. Because mm-hmm. I think there's a tendency for, well, for anyone, it's not just a bloke thing, but I think for anyone to kind of put on a bit of a performance on a Sunday, but then live a little bit like the life of Riley in the week. Yeah. Um, and that was, I guess, something you... Did you wrestle with that at all? Was that something that you found hard? Did, did church help at all or was it like really difficult? I tried my hardest to keep it hidden from the church, if I'm honest. Uh, but it reached the point where I actually enrolled at Bible College. So if I'd then said, I'd, my, in my thought process, if I'd then said to the church, actually, I'm not living a Christian life outside, then there'd have been some serious questions asked. And I just sure. wasn't ready to face those questions, if I'm honest. That's yeah. Uh, so I tried as much as I could to keep the two lives separate. Yeah. Um, but then, um, just after my 21st birthday, I decided to make contact with my dad because it really struck me that actually I haven't got this relationship with my dad that I really want and he missed my 21st birthday. Uh, so we'd agreed to meet up a week later. I'll never forget this moment. I was literally just putting my shoes on to go out the house to go meet him uh, and the police came to the door to tell me that he'd been found dead that morning. And that really kind of, that really broke me, you know. Um, that That's that's an incredible thing to say because you sounds to me like you'd gone on a bit of a journey to kind of trying to build a path towards some sort of reconciliation yeah and then circumstances came along and almost robbed you of that reconciliation that must have been ever so hard it was it was really difficult and i looking back on it now i blamed god at the time uh, and kind of saw that as an opportunity to kick back against the church um completely left church off the back of that um, yeah you know, people were trying their hardest to keep me engaged, but I was living less and less of a Christian life. Yeah. Um, and that was starting to impact relationships within the church. I uh, I started drinking incredibly heavily. Uh, I was working in a bar at the time. Uh, and spent a lot more time at the bar, even when I wasn't working. That's where you'd find me on an evening. And just kept on trying to put up this front, really. There was only a couple of people who I really let in and let them see how broken I was. Um, yeah. Everyone else just saw this front and thought that I was dealing with things in my own way. I ended up dropping out of uni and eventually ended up getting sacked from the bar. I found out that I was coming into quite a lot of money, um, quite a lot of inheritance money, so I just thought, I, I can spend this money before I've got it, you know, and I, I would beg, steal and borrow, and I'm, I'm not proud of that at all. Mm-hmm. The one thing that I'd change about my story is how many people got hurt along the way. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd beg, steal and borrow off anyone to, you know, just keep up this, this party lifestyle. In the end, I ended up getting fired from the bar off the back of that. Uh, I was taking money from the bar, uh, borrowing money off customers, you know, all sorts of stock was going missing. And was this to kind of fuel, like, more drinking or drug taking, or what was the kind of the driver behind that? 
Yeah, so at that point, oh, I hadn't used drugs. Um, mm-hmm. So at that point, it was it was just trying it to live this party lifestyle. A party lifestyle, yeah. Sure. So it was yeah. uh, going out drinking, you know, meeting up with school friends. Yeah. Um, I'd obviously lost my job, so I'd, I'd find anywhere to steal from. I'd steal from a shop and, mm-hmm. and sell what I'd stole um, in order to just be able to go out with 20, 30 quid in my pocket mm-hmm. uh, and go and get a few beers. Yeah, so uh, the money came in. And I, I could just party without guilt after that. You know, I, I had the money in the bank account. I could quite easily just, just go out and not worry so about it. So this was the inheritance money. So this inheritance yeah. money came in and then you kind of felt like you had a big cushion and a reserve. And Absolutely, like, yeah. You were able to party as, long, as much as you wanted, I guess. Yeah, yeah. 100%. Mm-hmm. And then one of the lads I went to school with introduced me to casinos. Um, and I, I loved it. Absolutely loved it. And very quickly developed quite a serious gambling addiction. Uh, to the point where I'd happily walk into a casino with a thousand pounds in my pocket, walk out with five hundred, and think I've had a good night. Yeah, you know, wow. and think it's money well spent. What do you think the nature? Just to unpack that a little bit, because I think again, a lot of guys, if they're really honest, they're going to identify with very much with what you say. Mm-hmm. What do you think the? What's the buzz about an addiction? What, what do you think people are searching for in addiction? Just in your own words. I'm not. I'm not looking for a great studied theological answer. Just, <laughs> just hit me with how it feels and what it does for you to to be involved in an in, a, in an addiction in that way. I think it's just the thrill. You know that thrill of, especially a gambling addiction. A gambling addiction is completely different to a drug addiction. A drug addiction, you're literally just looking for that feeling of your first hit again, um, and nothing will beat that first high um, from a, a drug point of view. Where it's gambling addiction, it's the thrill, it's the, oh, this next hand, I reckon I've got it with this next hand, or, you know, this next roll, I reckon I've got it, I reckon I'm going to come in big here. And there's a, and there's a kind of roller coaster feeling, I guess, of like, this might be it, this might mm. be it, and, you, and you're kind of seeking that instead of perhaps that, that first high that you mentioned from the drugs, yeah. Absolutely, yeah, so yeah. you're constantly seeking, you know, you put a hundred, two hundred pound bet on a roulette table, and in your head, you're thinking, if this comes in, it's party time. Yeah, and all you can think about is the feeling of if this comes in, it's going to be amazing. You don't think about the mm, the odds are stacked quite highly against <laughs> you. Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, so uh, yeah, in terms of a gambling addiction, it it came on very very quickly, um, and it yeah, it just grips you because you're just looking for that that thrill of a big win. Yeah. Did you experience the the tougher side of the addiction while you were gambling, or was it kind of a suspended reality season for you? Yeah. No. It was. Uh, there was one particular moment actually where I thought this is serious and I need some help. Uh, and that's, I transferred the last two and a half thousand pounds out of savings into a current account, and it just hit me like this is this is all the money gone now. But then straight away I was like, we need to make sure you gamble it well. <laughs> you need to make sure you win with it. Yeah. Um, so I, I had that moment of being like, "This is bad." Yeah. Mm-hmm. But then instantly was like, "Nah, I can win it back. It'll be all right." Yeah. Uh, so it was like a, a suspended false reality, really. Yeah. Yeah. What happened after that? So uh, at that point, I was living with a friend, and then obviously the money ran out. I couldn't pay rent anymore, so he said, "Look, we've come to a point where I need to ask you to leave," which he did, and I I, I kept thinking. It's fine. I'm great at gambling. Even though I've lost all this money, I'm great at gambling. I only need a tenner. I can go into a bookies, make a few hundred, go into a casino. I can make thousands. So I'll be all right. So he said to me, look, I need to ask you to move out, but I'm not just going to put you out on the street straight away. Uh, he was really gracious about it. Mm-hmm. I found some other friends who let me stay with them. Um, I wasn't working at the time. Couldn't claim benefits because I'd been fired from a job. So mm-hmm. my... Uh, 
my, my claim for job seekers allowance was rejected. So I was back in a pattern of having to beg, steal and borrow, really, uh, yeah. to try and keep up this front and, in my head, try and win all the money back. You know, yeah, uh, sure. I just mm -hmm. couldn't let go of that at the yeah. time. Uh, and it just became more and more disruptive um, to the point where I found myself also with a cocaine addiction that I couldn't fund. Um, but I was, I'd beg, steal and borrow to fund that and fund the gambling. And bridge after bridge just got burnt. Um, and then it reached a point where I just thought, you know, I remembered the parable of the, the son uh, oh, who yeah. took the inheritance money. Yeah. And I just thought, that's me. And how did, how did, when when you got to that point in your life where you thought that's that's me, what what was the thoughts going through your head when you made that connection with that very powerful parable and that person in it, and then thought, oh my goodness, that's me? I didn't really take it in at the time, if I'm honest. I just thought that's me. I need to get back into church. There's something here, you know. Yeah. I think there's God, a truth there, isn't yeah, there? In it. I, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. I think God's real. I think this story completely relates to me. Yeah. I mm -hmm. need to explore this a little bit. Um, unfortunately, when I got back into church, I was still beg, steal, borrow from anyone. Um, right. So at the time, you know, I'd burnt all my bridges. I was sleeping on a damp mattress above a pub, working for free beyond the bar to cover the roof above my head. Yeah. Um, you know, family members weren't weren't not talking to me, but knew that it wasn't necessarily appropriate to kind of look after me and take so, me under their wing. Sure, and so I'm guessing their, 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 their rationale was, yeah, we do love you, Will, but we're putting a bit of a boundary between you and you and me because your behaviour is just so difficult. Absolutely. It, it, yeah, sure. And, uh, mm -hmm. you know, that was to safeguard themselves, and I, I completely get that now. I didn't at the time. <laughs> um, I felt like I was being abandoned at the time. Um, yeah. And this is conversations I've, I've had with certain family members where I've said, look, I, I really understand that I hurt you a lot. Yeah. You know, um, but at the time, I just thought, I need help to sort myself out. Your family, you should help me. Yeah, you know. Sure. Um, and unfortunately, that that thought process went into church as well. So I, I kind of bounced around a few churches. Um, but you were making the attempt to step back towards God, though, weren't you? Yeah, I was. So with a lot of dysfunction, maybe trailing along behind you, but you were yeah. starting that journey of of going towards a faith that meant something to you. Yeah, yeah. And I, okay. I had no idea whatsoever how long that journey was. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think that's God's grace, really, that I didn't know how long the journey was, because if I knew how long it was and how hard it would be, I don't think I'd have took it, if I'm completely honest. Um, so I, uh, yeah, I bounced around quite a bit, uh, from church to church, burning bridges, hurting people, taking what I could, mm -hmm. um, and being asked to leave, basically. Um, yeah. Not necessarily, not necessarily being asked to leave the church, but leadership of churches saying we're kind of watching you. you know? Okay, yeah. We, we need yeah. to keep a very close eye on you. And I didn't like that. So I'd be like, yeah. well, no. <laughs> I'm going to go then. Yeah. Um, and then at one point, um, I got an email from one of my old uni lecturers saying, look, if you want to come back, you have to do it this year. And I thought, right, this is it. This is my chance. It comes with a placement. Um, placements often sort out accommodation for people. Yeah, I was like, right, this is it. This is my chance to to sort things out. Um, so I, the uni knew nothing about what had gone on. I mean, it reached the point where I'd even stolen a car and crashed it into a house. So I'd got myself a criminal record on top of everything else that had gone on. Mm. Um, and uh, yeah, things were looking pretty bleak. And then the uni got in touch and said, you can come back. Um, so I was like, right, this is my fresh start. Um, and then there was a little crossover period between me leaving 
one place I was staying to being able to start with displacement that offered accommodation. Uh, and there was a family that I knew who said, look, we're going on holiday, you're more than welcome to stay in our house. They knew everything that had gone on in the past uh, and they were gracious enough to say, you're more than welcome to stay in our house for the week that you need it. Yeah. Um, and things were really starting to look up, you know, mentally I thought, right, this is it, this is, I need to make a go of this. Uh, and then I received a text off an old school friend saying we're going out, do you fancy coming out? Again, I had no money, um, so I looked for something in the house that I could sell, found a laptop, sold the laptop, turned out this laptop belonged to West Midlands Police, uh, <laughs> and this guy had it just because he, uh, he needed it for work. He worked very, he wasn't a police officer, but worked very yeah. closely with the police. Yeah. Uh, so he had this laptop for work stuff. And uh, yeah, so they came back on holiday and started asking questions, and I came up with this story about how I broke it and was getting it repaired and so on and so forth. And in the end, I had to borrow money to buy this laptop back off the pawnbroker. Um, and it was all incredibly embarrassing more than anything else, but really hurtful for everyone involved. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, obviously, the placement caught wind of what had gone on. Uh, so they said, look, we're putting you in a house with two other guys. We can't trust you there. Mm -hmm. We don't know you. And all we've heard is these yeah. stories of what you've been doing over the last couple of years. Mm -hmm. um, so we, we can't have you. And they said, right, you need to be... By this point, I'd already got into the accommodation. Yeah. Uh, and I'd been there a couple of days. And they were like, you need to be out of the accommodation today. Like, we just don't trust you there. Yeah. So that's when I completely became homeless. Um, literally nowhere to go. Um, so I went to a friend's house who... I knew I wouldn't be able to stay there. But he'd been homeless himself and got a council house now. Yeah. So I went around to his house and just said, look, what's the best route for me to take? Um, so he said, go to the Salvation Army in Birmingham. Tell them your situation, they'll put you in the right direction. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's what I did. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Walked from Quinton to Birmingham, sent a couple of miles, mm -hmm. um, got to the Salvation Army, literally just rang the doorbell. Uh, someone came and spoke to me, mm -hmm. and they said they could put me up for one night. Then the next morning I'd have to. Um, kind of reapply. It's kind reapply, of one of those things, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, you keep going back, don't you? Yeah, yeah. so mm -hmm. go back to something called the Homeless Service Centre, yeah. uh, which mm -hmm. doesn't exist anymore, um, and kind of yeah, go through the system. So I did that. Uh, they got me another emergency bed at the Salvation Army again. So yeah. I spent another night there. Then the next morning, spoke to the manager and he said, look, we've got some vacancies, so hang on. We'll go through an interview paperwork. We'll go through all the interview paperwork with you. Um, and if that's all all right, then we'll, we'll get you into one of our main kind of supported beds. Yeah, so that, that's, that's how I ended up there. So that was kind of your, your journey to the Salvation Army, and, and I'm going to come around to the fact that you work there now, mm -hmm. but your journey to the Salvation Army was kind of part of a, a sort of a bit of a messy, but, but nevertheless uh, a messy journey towards faith, actually, Absolutely, wasn't it? Yeah. Because it was, you got in, yourself into a right pickle with lots and lots of stuff and you didn't know where to turn, and then they kind of said, well, yeah, we can take you on, and it was day by day at first, and then it became... Week by week, didn't it, I guess? And then it kind of grew. How long Absolutely. did you end up staying there for? Uh, so I was there for just over a year. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. So, uh, yeah, it was, it was just over a year in 2012, spreading over into 2013. But I'd been there about a week, I think. And I, I thought, you know, God's, God's done with me. I've blown it far too many times. Um, there's no way any real God would want any kind of relationship with me. And I still had no benefit claim up and running. I was eligible to claim by this point, uh, but I still had no benefit claim up and running. So I was searching through a few of my belongings to see what I could sell. 
that was mine to sell and uh, and came across an old motorbike sat nav that I had. Uh, so I thought, oh, that, that'll make me a few quid just to see me through a couple of weeks. I was walking through town, uh, through Birmingham City Centre, and uh, heard some Christian music playing in the streets. So I thought, oh, I'll just I'll stop and listen, you know, old times' sake and whatever. I like this song. Yeah. Uh, and then this guy called Leon just came up to me, put his arm around me. I just burst into tears before he could even ask if I was okay. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I, I just knew from Leon putting his arm around me that this might this might be the start of actually me coming back to God. Yeah. You know. And and something different happening for you. Mm. Yeah. Wow, it's quite an emotional moment, isn't it? Yeah. Just reflecting on that. Bless your heart, mate. So what happened after that, anyway? Moving on, yeah. pulling it together. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, so me and Leon had a little conversation. Yeah. Uh, and I kind of told him everything, a shorter version of what I've just told you, uh, everything that had gone on. Uh, and he invited me to church the next day, which is the last thing I expected when I said, you know, I've demolished relationships in churches and here's this guy saying come to church. Anyway, I kind of, I walked off, we we left it and I walked off and uh, the next morning I woke up and thought, oh, should I, shouldn't I? It's cold outside, you know, every single reason why I shouldn't go. <laughs> yeah. um, and then uh, I ended up coming to Birmingham City Church uh, and the only thing I remember from it really was uh, that Leon was waiting in the foyer area for me um, when I got there. That was just such a nice touch, you know, this guy who invited me is actually, he actually wants me to be here, it's not just a, a flippant inviting everyone, he genuinely wants me to be here. Yeah. Um, and then during the service, uh, Pastor Mark was speaking, Pastor Mark Ryan was speaking, and he kind of stopped halfway through his sermon and said, look, this isn't really relevant to what I'm saying, but someone needs to hear this. And it was along the lines of, it doesn't matter what you've done, it doesn't matter how far you are from God, you want one step to come back to him, he wants you to come back to him, he wants to work with you. And that was it, I knew that was for me. You know, mm. I knew that was God saying, we can work through everything. It's, a, it's amazing how God does that sometimes, isn't it? Yeah, it's awesome. Yeah, incredible. So did you kind of, when you heard that, did you, how did you respond? Did you go to the front? What happened? Yeah, so I kind of tried to hold it together for the rest of the service. <laughs> um, and then uh, went up to the front afterwards yeah. uh, and, and responded to that mm -hmm. um, and I prayed the prayer as we do, you know, uh, yeah. and, and asked Jesus back into my life and said, look, you know, I want to make a real go of it. I know I've messed it up a lot in the past, but I really believe you're, you're saying to me now, this is the time for you to come to me. Yeah. So, uh, That's yeah. just an incredible story of a return to faith. So you kind of had a bit of a churchy background, but then you kind of just rejected it all and mm -hmm. kind of went your own way and then through all the brokenness and the difficulty of that, you kind of found your way back to, to mm, Christ. That seems just an, yeah. an incredible story. Can I ask you a little bit about what you do now? Because what you do now is kind of you're almost sort of on the the serving end of the of the kind of thing that you received when you went to Salvation Army. Yeah, so uh, I sit on the management team of the centre, mm -hmm. um, directly line managing the support workers and kind of overseeing all the, the support as aspects of the centre. Uh, so what we do as a centre is we'll take someone in, find out what their support needs are, so that can be anything ranging from, you know, financial issues, mental health, drug abuse, all sorts, you know, anything can lead someone to becoming homeless. Uh, so rather than us saying, right, you tick our boxes, we'll say to them, what is it that you need help with? And we then draw on, you know, other relationships that we've got, we pull other agencies together. But more importantly than that, we're, we're there for the, for the clients, we're there for the people who reside with us. 
nine times out of ten, it's a listening ear, a point in the right direction. Yeah. And people have people have got it within them to be able to overcome homelessness. Yeah. They just need that little helping hand. Um, so the the easiest part of my job is overseeing the support workers because mm-hmm. they're incredible. You know, it's, at first it was quite a a strange dynamic directly line managing the person who helped me when I was in that situation. <laughs> wow, um, that's, that's, was, that's very freaky, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it was yeah, a bit nerve-wracking yeah. uh, going in on my first day and being like, right, here's all these people that have seen me at my lowest point in life. Mm-hmm. They know the, the dirtiest bits about me. They know everything about my past that anyone would want to know. Yeah. And now I need to... To kind manage of them. Shape, shape them and steer their day <laughs> yeah. work, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, but they made it really easy, you know, yeah. they, were, they were really, uh, really welcoming mm-hmm. uh, and still are now, you know, yeah. they're, they're a great team of support workers that we've got. Um, so my my kind of daily tasks include kind of making sure that um, support plans and notes and stuff are up to date, um, having quite a big in, uh, input into the centre in terms of what we do as a centre. Uh, obviously during lockdown that's all a bit kind of up in the air but we're usually running activities throughout the week and stuff like that. Um, mm. So then I'll report into the, the service manager who oversees the whole thing. Um, yeah. But in terms of my position on kind of directly line managing all the support workers, making sure that all of our clients are being supported. Yeah, I think it's just an amazing story to hear that you've kind of come full circle in this way in that mm-hmm. the very charitable acts or service provision that has helped you back up on your feet to quite a degree you're now working for. I think that's such a beautiful story. It's awesome. I mean, when the, when the job opportunity came up, uh, I was already working in homeless services Yeah. Uh, when the opportunity came up to move over to the William Booth Centre, um, but it was just an opportunity I couldn't turn down. You know, yeah. mm. I thought, right, I need to at least apply for it. Uh, and then when I found out I was successful for it, I was buzzing. Yeah, I was really excited. Just give us a a bit of a heads up for blokes listening that maybe aren't that connected with that world. And Mm -hmm. obviously, you know, part of the purpose of the podcast was to just to get to chat to you and hear about your journey to faith and also what you do. But um, for for blokes that maybe never been homeless or perhaps not had struggles in this particular area like you have, just Mm -hmm. um, just give them a bit of a heads up of maybe how could they... Uh, how could they be understanding? How could they help? How could they how could they support something like the work that you do? Having a, a kind of realization that homelessness can happen to anyone can really help someone to to shape their thinking and kind of try and put yourself in someone else's shoes. Really, someone who might be there at the moment. Well, what struck me about your story was that it seemed to be quite a quick transition from being. Um, helped out a bit by different friends and family mm-hmm. to suddenly not having that and being kind of like on the street or in real difficulty and you mm-hmm. from it sounds like to me from your experience that that margin is quite narrow it's quite quick to get there is that the experience of some of the people who come to the William Booth Centre that they've found themselves homeless really quickly is that is absolutely that yeah I mean I, obviously talking about work the kind of work I do I need to keep it as generic as of possible of course yeah, um, yeah absolutely. we do get some people where sh- they're sharing their story and you think I could have seen this coming five years ago for you. Yeah. I could have seen this coming ten years ago for you. But then there are people who literally rock up at the door, mm-hmm. and yesterday they were happily married. You know, three kids at home, own their house, no mortgage on the house, but now they're knocking on the door of the Salvation Army saying, "I've got nowhere to go and no one to turn to." So yeah, it's uh, it can be really scary, really, when you think about it like that. But I think having that understanding that it can happen to anyone at any point. Yeah. Um, then mix that in, you know, with 
with the compassion that that comes through a relationship with Jesus. Yeah. Um, and I think you've got everything you need to to seek God's heart for the broken, for the lost, for the lonely. Brilliant. Um, yeah. So it's having the understanding, but also having the compassion as well. Absolutely. Are there any practical things that blokes listening could do, or could, you know, just give us a heads up on how people listening, ordinary people, ordinary person listening, how could they help? Sure. Um, so obviously, time is, is one of the biggest things for a lot of us. Not not many of us have got a lot of time to spare. Um, I'd say if you have and you you want to help with homeless services, find out who your local homeless services. Yeah. Um, mm. You know, the majority of the councils in the UK will have commissioned homeless services. So a little five minute search on Google, you'll be able to find out who those are. Um, get in touch with them. Maybe I don't know if your church are doing something. Uh, some kind of outreach with homeless people by all means you know volunteer some time Um, if you're unable to do that um, another thing that's hard to come by for a lot of charities especially but also for a lot of people is money yeah Um, so finance is a big help isn't it absolutely Mm -hmm. Um, and every every penny can go a long way you know some of the donations we've had in the past have been quite quite large Mm -hmm. some have been really small but all of them go into the same pot you know, and all it all of them helps, go towards it? helping yeah. the residents. Um, sometimes helping them while they're with us, while they're in the centre. Mm-hmm. Uh, other times it goes towards helping them when they move on. So you know, if someone moves on, we need to get hold of a cooker for them. Yeah. Then mm-hmm. we can potentially do that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Great stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, provide furniture and stuff like that. Um, the other thing I'd say is pray for us. You know, pray for the staff yeah. working in homeless services. Pray for uh, the residents and those who aren't yet residents. You know, pray for the the people who are out on the street looking for homeless people. There's a lot of homeless people who kind of hide out of the way. Mm-hmm. Um, pray for the people looking for them. Yeah. Um, and pray for the individuals themselves. Uh, and also pray for the people who love people who are experiencing homelessness but aren't able to help. Yeah. That's, that's from, a hard thing, isn't it? For yeah, people? from conversations yeah. I've had with people, my own family included, that's a really horrible place to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, knowing that someone's facing homelessness and loneliness and you can't do anything to help. Yeah. Um, mm. So pray for those guys as well. Yeah. So understanding, compassion, time, finance, prayer. Mm-hmm. There's five things, isn't it, that you can uh, you can kind of reflect on and think about in terms of being able to offer some practical help and support uh, to homeless services where you are. So, Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, that's great. Well, we have a bit of a tradition on the podcast where we uh, play a little bit of a game. Okay. I really want to just say thanks so much for being so honest and and sharing your heart with us and you know there's going to be some guys that will really connect with what you're saying in, in terms of the struggles you've been through but we do have a little bit of a game where we kind of spin a wheel and we produce some uh, it produces random categories and I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit and we'll see what we come up with cool now let's spin it and we have a brand Will talk to us about a brand I know you talked to us about your bike earlier but um Maybe not your bike, but another brand. Yeah, and listen, we're totally shameless on this podcast. You could talk about any brand you like. Okay, awesome. So, yeah. So, uh, yeah, for coffee lovers out there, uh, I think I'll talk about Costa. Co- Costa, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So, uh, Costa is a, a, a company that really helped me, actually. Um, so, I, I had a few kind of temporary jobs uh, while yeah. I was living at the Salvation Army. <clears throat> and then found myself working full-time for Costa. Yeah. And that developed an outrageous passion. Uh, <laughs> An outrageous coffee. passion for outrageous coffee. Passion outrageous. 
Come on, tell us the favourite brand of beans or flavour or whatever it is that you must have arrived at over your years as a coffee lover. Can, can we go there or, or is there a lot of different coffees you like? Yeah, there's quite a lot. I mean, I, yeah. I was with Costa for a couple of years and then went independent yeah. um, and started working for my friend's company, kind of travelling around Europe. Ah, um, doing tasting coffee. Exhibitions. Exhibitions on coffee. Yeah, Very good. all sorts. So, What's your perfect cup of coffee? Just paint a picture for us of the perfect cup of coffee. I think it's got to be a good old mocha pot at home. A mocha pot at home, yeah. But, <clears throat> but with some, Your voice is cracking with emotion. I mean, I, just, is, I can yeah. feel it coming over. I'm yeah, come on. <laughs> um, mocha pot at home. Yeah, mocha pot at home, but it's yeah. got to be... Um, there's no way of saying this without sounding really arrogant. Um, but it's got to be. It's got to be specific beans. So okay. I, I need to find the beans myself. Okay. Uh, obviously online. I, I'm not flying around the world just looking for one cup of coffee. <laughs> um, and then you get the beans sent to you. you get the beans sent to me. You grind them yourself, grind I'm guessing. Grind them myself. Yeah. You um, percolate it all yourself. Yeah, do it all myself. Yeah. It's, it's got to be done properly. Okay. So it's part of the process and it's part, part partly process and partly sourcing. Absolutely. Uh, and partly taking your time on it. Yeah. Very good. It's, okay. It's, so it's Costa, Costa and coffee. Videos. You heard it here, uh, chaps. Uh, you need to follow Will on that. That's great. Thank you for your advice on coffee. That's great. Uh, I'm sure a lot of guys are like that. Here we go. Right. And then... Um, we'll go this time. An event. An event. Talk us through an event that's uh, maybe had an impact on you or something that you really enjoyed. So, uh, like I said earlier, I'm a West Bromwich Albion fan. Yeah. And uh, I think the most emotional I've ever got at a football match. I mean, I, I get emotional quite a lot. I, I cry at Toy Story every time I watch it. Um, I'm not ashamed of that. Yeah. Um, maybe a little bit. Um, but yeah, uh, so I'm a West Bromwich Albion fan and we were the first team to be bottom of the Premiership at Christmas and still survive and stay up. Yeah. Um, it was the great escape season and uh, we were actually bottom at the start of the last day of the Premiership season and still managed to stay in the Premiership. Wow. Um, yeah, that, that was that was special. Were there certain key matches? I mean, I'm, I follow football loosely, but I, I'm not like a, a strong fan. I don't follow a particular club. Were there certain matches that really helped clinch that for them to stay up? Yeah, so the the teams above us, the teams above us, uh, one could draw, the others had to lose. Yeah. Uh, and we had to win. Right. Uh, and that whole combination came through. That whole it? combination came oh, through. Oh wow. I'm telling you, if I just started gambling then, <laughs> I was going to say I'd you'd be have laughing. Made, you'd have made a killing, wouldn't you? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but no, that that event was incredible. That's amazing. Well, thank you so, so much for uh, chatting to us on the uh, Discipleship for Busy Blokes podcast. Thanks for having me. Much appreciated. And lo- one last thing remains. Would you be kind enough to pray for the blokes listening? Is that yeah, okay? Of course. Thank you so much. No Look, God, I thank you uh, for this podcast. I thank you for uh, for Elium Churches, for the Empower uh, Ministry, um, and everything that is involved in that, Lord. I just pray for the blokes that have been listening to this, Lord, that um, yeah, you really use my story and my words to to speak to them father it's not my story and my words lord but they're yours it's your story father it's your uh it's your grace that's brought me to where i'm at and i pray that that would come through strongly lord i just pray that uh, the blokes listening to this are blessed by listening to it lord that you'd encourage them you'd strengthen them uh, and that somehow you'd use me to bring them closer to you in jesus name amen amen 